Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This week, we look at our planetary neighbor known as the moon and discover why it's such a fascination to us. Why do we look to the moon? What influence does the moon have on us? And more importantly, what do we know about the moon? My guest today looks at the history of the moon and how the ancients reacted to it, the strange lights that are found on much of the moon, and the anomalies. What do the astronauts encounter? What do we even see today that's not reported to us? Why does NASA refuse to tell us what is going on? Today, we talk about the moon anomalies with our guest and her new book, The Moon's Galactic History. All this and more today on Earth Ancients. Saturday, January 14th, 2023, this is Earth Ancients. I'm your host, Cliff Dunning. Hey, hey, welcome to Earth Ancients. Hope you're doing well today. Over the last few years, we've had a number of uh, scientists and research investigators talk about the moon, uh, our lunar sister, and... uh, whether it be ancient societies, uh, the Greeks, uh, and more present astronomers looking at the moon, there's always been a suspicion that there were ruins from an earlier civilizations, ruins from perhaps, and actually bases from uh, ETs, off-world civilizations that used it for a way station to Earth, or uh, as they're passing through. And, you know, that's that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's been so many anomalous discoveries and, and um, research done on the moon that th- there's just really no way to know what's going on. My guest today has written a fascinating book called The Moon's Galactic History, and she has looked at pretty much every aspect of the moon from the Apollo astronauts seeing UFOs, seeing aliens, seeing really strange lights, to the ancients' belief that there was an ancient civilization, a very, very old civilization that actually lived and existed on the moon and traveled back and forth between Earth and other planets in our cosmos. Now, it's hard to really know what is factual, what is myth, and what's really going on, because we have a governmental body 
that just won't come clean with what's going with with news, with observations, with the possible evidence of an ET race that is visiting us and visiting us in their uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon, which is the other, the new word for UFOs, saucer craft, tubular craft. Uh, in some cases, there's no visible craft at all. The beans just show up in a bright light. And we've had numerous people on the program talking about this phenomenon. But when it comes to the moon, Space Command, NASA, simply cannot get over themselves and appears to be adherent to this document that they requisitioned from the Brookings Institute in 1960 that actually reveals to them that if information about an alien race, alien artifacts, or first contact with an alien civilization were to happen, we would have no ability to function. We would lose our minds. Religion would end. People would commit suicide. And the government would fail. The sad thing about that is, is that, uh, they've had a, a updated version of that where they went, actually went to a number of priests, theologians, people that study religion, and they asked them their opinion. This is a couple of years ago, and we've talked about it. Why the hell are you asking religious people about how uh, the world will react? Why don't you get on the social media? Why don't you ask a certain? Once you create a survey and go after the sur- uh, the, the uh, uh, social media, that's where people are are re- responding. Those are the areas of. Uh, people's concern, as shallow as that is, uh, I think people are much more lively, much more truthful, and able to respond to questions of how would you respond if there were discoveries on the moon of alien bases? How would you feel if it was known that there is a living, thriving civilization on the moon how would you feel about that? My gut feeling is that people would be not only curious, I think, and this goes for me, would be overjoyed to know that we're not the only ones in the universe. You know, for, for the scientists to say uh, there's no other civilizations, there's no other, uh, other living planets in our solar system is just crazy. And I say this every time, uh, A.V. Loeb, Dr. A.V. Loeb from Harvard, who we've had on a couple of times, is refreshingly transparent. He's looking for probes. He's looking for downed UFOs. He's dredging the Pacific Ocean this coming summer to look for particles, to look for evidence of exotic metals that uh, were found on what he believes was a probe that entered our atmosphere and broke up. Why is NASA so reluctant to tell us? Maybe it's because it's been going on so long uh, that they've become neurotic. And I think this is the problem with government agencies in general. They're so behind the times. They're so out of touch. Here in the United States, the government agencies are just a mess, (laughs) you know, So today we're going to talk about the moon and all its intricacies. We're going to look at it from 
ancient unknown cultures living on the moon. We're going to look at it from the Greeks, how they interpreted the moon. And we're going to hear about various scientists that have crossed over and become transparent, most notably the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, which is Russia. In the last couple of decades, there have been some prominent scientists that have revealed uh, that uh, the moon, here's an example. They, and I can't think of the name of this uh, one scientist, but he was prominent. He was uh, an astronomer. And he, based on his research, uh, revealed that Phobos, the moon that orbits Mars, in his belief, it was uh, artificial. And he actually uh, showed his uh, paperwork, his research, that identified movements. Uh, In other words, the planet was adjusting and correcting its trajectory, its movements, in and around planet Mars. You can't change your movements without some form of propulsion. And I don't think he's, you know, uh, hypothesized what kind of propulsion was going on. His theories and actually his evidence uh, was that this planet was man-made and that it was hollow. And as we began looking at it with long-range telescopes, uh, over the years we've discovered huge vertical probes, something that looks like a tower, monoliths that are half a mile to a mile high on Phobos. And today we're going to hear from uh, our guest on other scientists who have made the claims that not only is is the moon hollow, but they also believe that the moon is occupied by alien, an alien race and that in parts of it are artificial. So fascinating topic, something that I'm somewhat curious about. And this book, The Moon's Galactic History, is packed full of fascinating uh, research, and information. It's over 300 pages, and it has uh, just come out, and I had a chance to look at it fairly thoroughly, and I was astounded at, at what the what, what she found on this. So it's going to be a fun show. I have a, a short audio version of a program that interviewed a number of Apollo astronauts who either walked on the moon or orbited the planet during various missions. And this is an interesting uh, uh, series of interviews because each of them says there were UFOs. And we're going to hear from Bud Aldrin, who believes that there were a group of alien beings that were observing their uh, experiments on the moon. A number of Apollo uh, missions included experiments of rock collection, dirt sample collections, I think even a couple of them drilled into the surface to pull out cores of the of the ground and things like that. So have a quick listen to this. Three, two, one, zero. Sixty seconds. I saw this illumination 
that was moving with respect to the stars. We were smart enough to not say, uh, Houston, there's a light out there that's following us. So technically, it becomes an unidentified flying object. While Neil and Buzz were on the lunar surface, Neil switched to the, the medical channel and spoke directly with the chief medical officer, saying, they're here, they're parked on the side of the crater, they're watching us. I spotted a lot of stuff that seemed to not belong on the moon. And it has very distinct features of a satellite dish. It's got the dish itself, the crater shape. It's got a long spike that appears to come out of the middle. All sorts of stuff that looks exactly like a satellite dish on Earth looks. There's an interesting picture on the moon that does appear to show something that could be a bridge, maybe a pipe, could be an inching worm. I have no doubt that extraterrestrials could very well have populated or made structures on the far side of the moon. The reaction of numerous space defense officials was a fear and astonishment. And it would make sense that governments and military agencies might well be quaking in their boots, wondering who's built these structures, where are they from, what do they want? There is one object that reminds people of a cooling tower from a nuclear power plant. Any species that could travel through the stars enough to put a base on the moon wouldn't have to blink before they could take care of us. The other thing that is inside this lunar module looks like a woman, and this is the alien that they recovered from the ship. There was a study done by the Brookings Institute in the early 1960s, so before NASA went to the moon, there was sort of this idea that if we were to have any kind of interaction with alien life form or intelligence, that maybe we shouldn't tell the public because the public might not be able to handle it. As the 45th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission to the moon dawns, there are many mysteries about man's first lunar landing that remain unsolved. What did the astronauts actually encounter there? And what made NASA stop going back to the moon after Apollo 17? Is there evidence of an alien presence on the moon? And perhaps all around us? These startling photographs recently discovered in NASA's official archive were taken by the Apollo astronauts themselves. The gigantic, artificial-looking structures they document, which have never been shown on television before, seem to defy simple scientific explanation. Could this be a nuclear power plant of some kind? A massive satellite dish trained on Earth? Even an alien fortress? We took the pictures to some of the brightest people of our world. And nobody can say for sure what these structures represent. Military experts tell us that if there is an alien base on the moon, it poses a serious threat to humanity. Tonight, we'll examine all the evidence. We'll attempt to determine if such an alien menace exists. That's fascinating. My guest today is Constance Victoria Briggs, and her new book is The Moon's Galactic History. I am so excited. We are doing Mexico in November this year, and I'll tell you what makes Mexico with 
Dr. Ed Barnard so fun is that he's excavated some of these places we've been to. He's surveyed some of these locations. And one of the most unique areas that I have not been to is uh, in Verahamosa. We actually fly into the airport there on this first tour. By the way, the tour is November 10th through the 17th of this year. It's one week, so it's quick. Seven days in and out. But I'll tell you, Ed has packed in a lot of activities and this uh, tour. This is what makes it exciting. And I have Ed with me. Ed, how you doing, man? How's it going? I'm great. Cliff, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks for joining me. I want you to talk a little bit about uh, Laventa Park. I have not seen truly any of these. Let's be blunt about it. These are megaliths in this park. Uh, we're also going to see the museum. According to you, we, we come in. And we spend the night at this uh, Verahamosa Hotel, and the park, Laventa Park, is walking distance from the from the hotel. So what's that? Ten minutes? Five minutes? How close is it to the to the hotel? Uh, walking casually, fifteen. It's right there in kind of Verahamosa's uh, Central Park. Okay, and so this park, as you said, was um, built by a, a local poet. And how did he collect these megaliths? Did he? Get the government, or did he get the Ina to donate the the the, the huge sculptural reliefs and the things? Well, his name was Carlos Pelisar, and he wasn't just any poet. He was the poet laureate of the state of Tabasco, and he was from a very wealthy family. So when he saw Pemex, the gas company, ruining the site of Laventa, he paid his own money to buy this property in the middle of Laventa and then have all of the megaliths moved to this park. And he set it up wow. in this beautiful walkway. There's jungle around it with monkeys and kawatamundis running through. And wow. you walk this beautiful path through almost all of the megaliths from the site of Laventa. Yeah, and Laventa, real quickly, was a major Olmec city, wasn't it? It was the last truly Olmec city. It it ended up ended its life at about 500 BCE, but it was uh, the first and only one with a pyramid. It was really the first pyramid of all of Mesoamerica. Was right there at Laventa. Yeah, what makes this uh, portion of the tour really the first day of the tour exciting for me is these are true megaliths and at the um, the volcanic heads that are so unique they average in weight from five to 20 tons how many heads are in this park there's quite a few i guess like five or six they have the best of all of them which is head number one and it's uh it's over 10 tons i think maybe 12 tons and then there's uh there's a cup there's a half made one that nobody ever sees that's about five tons but they also have all the altars, uh, huge statues that you never see. You open up these coffee table books. The things you'll see in the park are things you do not find in books. And they're all you know, five tons and more. They're huge. Yeah, they're true megaliths. One of the things that's unique that you mentioned to me, and this is what's real fun about the itinerary uh, of being in um, Laventa, Laventa Park Museum, is the fact that it's an outdoor museum, walking among these megaliths. I mean, it sounds like there's a really a, a considerable number of pieces there. What else is there? I think you mentioned the the um, the zoo. 
And the zoo has some of the most exotic birds in that area, correct? Absolutely. It's it's part archaeological outdoor museum and part zoo. It was made by a poet, so he wanted it to mirror that beautiful natural environment where the Olmec grew up. And there are jaguars, there are scarlet macaws. He has a whole area of the most deadly snakes, but it's it's all very beautiful and you know visually poetic. Yeah. There's also every there there are actually five different kinds of cats that roam the jungles down there, and all of them are there. The things like uh, jaguarundis, which are just strange-looking creatures, and yet I never see them anywhere except this park. Yeah, when you mentioned jaguars, I was saying, I don't think I've ever seen a jaguar. Oh, they've got a big, beautiful black one, and you can get close enough to realize black ones have spots, too. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's amazing. Uh, Again, the tour is November 10th through the 17th uh, this year. Uh, for more information, you can go to earthancients.com forward slash tours. Look for the banner. We have the entire itinerary available there for you. We only take a few people simply because we want to be able to get in and out of these locations and uh, some of the other places we'll go. Hey, Ed, good talking to you. Good to talk to you, Cliff. It's always fun to have an author return with a new book. And as an author myself, man, it can take a great deal of energy, not only to do the writing, but then when you engage a publisher, you have the whole editing cycle that takes sometimes an equal amount of time (laughs) to go over the book. Uh, Today, we have the return of Constance Briggs. She was with us before. Her new book is called the Moon's Galactic History, a look at the Moon's extraterrestrial past and its connection to Earth. This is 300 pages of amazing research, not just on the Moon's environment, its condition, uh, what we know about it from NASA. She has found and researched some of the most fascinating anomalies about the Moon in this book. And uh, it is a fascinating read on multiple sections. If you're into ancient aliens, if you're into the hollow moon theory, if you're into alien Martian bases on this, this is not woo-woo. She's actually quoting NASA astronauts that have been there. And we've had astronauts like uh, Ken Johnston on our program. We've had um, cosmologists. We've had planetary scientists. We've had... Uh, astronomers from NASA talking about the funny anomalies on the moon. So the moon's galactic history is the title again. 
and my returning guest, Constance Briggs. Great to see you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Cliff. You, I, I want to say, Constance, that you have a moon fetish, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> you really went to town with this. You weren't just glazing over some topics. You actually have a 300-plus page book of real solid material. What was what was the ma- motivation to, to, to write this? Wow. So when I came out with my encyclopedia of moon mysteries, people really enjoyed it. But honestly, they wanted something deeper and they wanted to hear my my voice. That was an encyclopedia. So um, I could only speak with so much on my thoughts about the moon in there. And, yeah. uh, you know, I couldn't go into any uh, detail about uh, ancient history, the connection to Earth. So people wanted something more. They wanted to hear me. I had a lot of thoughts. And also, uh, one of my my goals is to introduce people to the idea that we're not alone in the universe. And that one of the places to begin searching for uh, life in, in outer space is the moon. I feel yeah. like we didn't get any further in our space exploration uh, before we hit something, before we ran into somebody out there. So I wanted to to introduce that topic. And it's, it's my goal to let people know that, you know, we're not alone. And uh, there is, I believe, a galactic community. And I think that we can start with the moon and uh, try to get some of these answers, uh, questions answered as to, you know, where we came from, what is our origins, where did it begin, begin where did we, this all begin? I think that the moon is connected to that. So that's how this book got started. Okay. That kind of makes sense because when we had you on uh, last year, your your book, I think it was last year, maybe longer than that. The encyclopedia, your book was the Encyclopedia of Moon Mysteries. Right. And that is filled with rich descriptions of anomalies of past explorers, people like Galileo and other, uh, scientists who are using telescopes to observe the surface of the planet and coming up with all kinds of anomalies and, and strange and mysterious things. So the moon's galactic history is actually a great uh, uh, addition to your interest in the moon. What is your interest? What, why, why the fascination with the moon, Constance? You know, that's a really good question because honestly, growing up, I had no interest in astronauts in the moon. Could have cared less. Yeah. Uh, it was, I think, besides the fact that I am, a nut <laughs> for the the like I said the idea that we're not alone in the universe. Um, I am just I came across this little book years ago by Don Wilson titled "Our Mysterious Spaceship Moon" that really set me on this path. I had no idea that there was so much going on with the moon. Like most people, I thought it was just you know pretty and a dead rock in the sky with nothing going on. I believed the myth that it is a dead rock. So once I kind of read that book and I grabbed hold of this topic, I don't know how to explain it, Cliff. I couldn't let it go. (laughs) Um, I can't let it go. And I think people need to know that there's something going on right above us. 
yeah. with extraterrestrials and that there is a connection. And I just consider part of my mission in this life is to let people know that we're not alone in the universe. And I think my my obsession is starting with the moon. I just cannot believe all of the information out there about it. And I talk to every people talk to people every day who have no idea, no idea what's going on. Yeah, I write articles uh, off and on for various publications, and a couple of articles, uh, I mean, one specifically on the Maya is has turned into a book because it was just such a passion of mine. I see the encyclopedia of uh, of moon mysteries as obviously we mentioned that kind of a launching point. But what are some of the anomalies that you discovered that were the trigger points? Because, there, I mean, some of the key anomalies about the moon, I'd be curious to hear, uh, would be motivating factors to kind of continue your research. So. It's interesting, Cliff, that, you know, we have information from the 60s from NASA that stated uh, in a declassified document that there is a lot of uh, lights going on with the moon. There's a lot of movement going on with the moon. Um, there was great detail in this little uh, document called the NASA Technical NASA tech, Lunar Technical Report went into great details about anomalies um, going back to uh, the time of, you know, the, the 1600s. And they have been collecting. And I'm, I'm forgetting my question, the question now, of course. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to, my point is, it, it this information didn't just begin with us in, this, in the uh, 60s. It went back. So far back that um, I forgot the question, Cliff. It's all about the anomalies. What are the anomalies that were unique for you, and were kind okay. of ins- yeah. inspirational? And and you do mention. Let's let's clarify. You have a whole section on these unusual lights that have been chronicled as early as the 1700s, maybe even earlier by earlier by the Greeks, but we right. don't know. Right. I I remember where I was going. So the fact that we now today in our modern era have the anomalies, I was amazed that these anomalies went so far back. And uh, I I just felt like that kind of proved that there was something going on up there. But which anomaly specifically are you talking about? Am I talking about? So the fact that um, there were uh, uh, astronomers from the 1600s moving forward that we're seeing things like one of them described insects moving across the surface of the moon. They, this, this person, and forgive me, there's so many astronomers. I can't remember who saw what unless I have, um, the information in front of me, but it may have been, uh, Wilkins, but he saw a flock of something moving across the moon. He said that he thought they may have been insects, but he followed these things. And, you know, there there should be nothing up there. So obviously, the man was intelligent. He was respected, this astronomer. And the fact that he saw something akin to some kind of animal or insect moving across the moon really stood out for me. But not only that, when I, dis- when I uh, studied the strange lights on the moon, I think that really 
had me interested because the lights there are, are astronomers, professional and amateurs today watching the moon. And they're saying that they believe they're seeing lights on the edges of craters that look like ships lined up. Um, in the earlier in, in the earlier times, the astronomers were still were seeing lights during a, a lunar eclipse. They've seen lights go into the craters and stay there. Obviously, they were some kind of UFO. So that's my point. When I learned about the lights, and nobody, I feel like, says it. They say, oh, these are trans, uh, trans uh, lunar phenomena. They're lights. They're not lights. They're UFOs. They're ships. They're just not random lights moving around. Random lights don't move around the Earth. So that really struck me. There is something flying around on the moon. And they look like ships. Yeah. One of the fascinating things about your book, and you bring this up, is that there is a huge cover-up by NASA and Space Command because we uh, regularly get reports from various people that are scientists outside of the the NASA community uh, uh, imaging, uh, because you can be a private citizen and have a very powerful telescope to image the moon. And I've had uh, engineers send me images and photos and videos of ships, white dots moving across the surface of, of the planet known as Mar, uh, the moon. So obviously with – and by the way, those of you listening, uh, uh, we talk all the time about the moon. We've had a number of, of uh, planetary scientists, Dr. Mark Carlotto, Dr. John Brandenburg, who believe that not only are there – alien bases there. Uh, we know that the astronauts from the Apollo missions saw UFOs. There's speculations they may have seen aliens on the surface. But your book is so well put together. If you're, those of you listening, 300 plus pages of real good detail and great reference material if you want to know about the moon. And obviously, in 60 minutes, uh, Constance, we can't talk about every single chapter because <laughs> we'd be here for four hours. Yeah. But I want to talk about some of the early um, ancient wisdoms and what we believe are the origins of the moon. So we've grown up, you know, we were taught uh, that the moon was created by, uh, you know, the latest greatest theory is that it was created by a planet that smacked earth the giant uh, impact theory and when it when it smacked into earth the uh earth's material spewed out into the universe and you know created this moon i just saw this on netflix the other night with morgan freeman narrating it this same theory and this mm -hmm. theory has been discounted every theory of how the moon came to be has been discounted by scientists yeah. they don't know how the moon was created. So for me, when I looked back in our ancient past and I came across some of the stories, for example, I'm, I'm going to tell you the sentence to something. Um, there was, uh, there are the Zulu people out of Africa who have a story that they said, uh, when they talk about the creation of the moon, they said that this moon was basically a hollowed out planetoid. They referred to it as an egg that it was hollowed out by um, extraterrestrial, well, they were extraterrestrials, um, uh, and it was sent across the universe and placed in Earth's orbit. 
what struck me about that ancient tale is that in the 70s, two uh, scientists came forward from Russia uh, that worked for the Russian government. Uh, they were astronomers and they laid their reputations on the line after uh, looking at NASA's uh, material uh, from the astronauts and what they brought back. They laid their reputations on the line and they said that they believed that the moon is a spaceship that was sent across the universe and placed here. And they believe that there are beings in it and that they believe that all necessary um, uh, things, items that they needed for survival is within this moon. And that is right. one of the reasons it may be hollow. So what strikes me is that story from the Zulu people. And then you've got in the modern times, Russian ast astronomers saying the same thing. I believe that what we are looking at is a mechanism, is a spaceship um, that was created. And that will that explains all of the mysteries, I think, that the scientists can't answer because they don't go there. We don't, uh, they, yeah. They're saying, well, we don't know why the moon, why the hull of the moon is so hard that we can't drill into it. We don't understand why the craters are all, you know, no matter how hard the moon is smacked by a meteor, why they're all the same depth. They should be you know, that should vary. We don't really know why the moon is, is reverberating when the uh, astronaut sent the sent stage into it. We don't know. It seems like it's hollow, but we don't really want to, you know, talk about it. Yeah. So if you look at all of that and you look at some of the ancient stories. Oh, there is a story, by the way, out of um, Bolivia, uh, the Sun Gate. Um, uh, located in Bolivia. You can look that up, Sungate of Bolivia. You mean Tiwanaku? Thank you. Thank you, Tiwanaku. You know what? I dare not pronounce it because I got just raked across the coals one time. <laughs> about my well, I, 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 I tend to butcher some of these ancient names too, but <laughs> I, I do the best I can, then I'll be corrected. <laughs> so now I just refer to it as the Sungate out of Bolivia. But if you do put that in Google, it does pop up. So this um, is another ancient tale. That really struck me because that sun gate has symbols and writings on it that talk about uh, the moon coming in. All right. Which implies, mm -hmm. of course, that the moon wasn't always there. It talks about this thing coming in. We have the lost uh, philosophers. Um, and I, I talk about it in my, in my book that, uh, you know, stated that there was no moon in the sky at one point that Venus was the. Uh, object that shine the brightest and that there were these uh there was this tribe of people named the arcadians that lived and they were wild and you know this was a time uh before mankind became cultured they were uh you know running wild they were you know they just were wild people and this was the time before the moon so we have all of that and i did say these are respectable philosophers that we still quote today and that we were still um uh, using their work today. And I say, you can't just pick and choose for people who say that there always was a moon in the sky. We have these stories. I don't believe that the uh, people who were writing on that sun gate were playing a hope for humans in the future. I believe they were writing history. I believe the ph philosophers, if they're going to tell us that, uh, you know, we have to believe the philosophers in uh, all matters of what they say and respect them, then you can't just discard them saying that there was a time without the moon. 
So it looks like there was a time when there was no moon in the sky and this thing was brought here. Now, why it was brought here, we don't know. But I think that a conversation should be open and discussed because we have movement up there. We have lights up there. We have UFOs uh, now in our modern time where we see UFOs going out on some videos of the moon and and fleets of UFOs. And where are they going? Are they coming to Earth? I bet you they are. And have they been coming to Earth for, you know, eons of time? Maybe. Probably. Because we don't know. We know that there was someone there. There is someone there. And if it's the same group that were uh, originally came in, we don't know. The originators of the who who may have been in this moon, as the Russian uh, astronomers talked about, maybe they left. Maybe someone else came in. But there's definitely something going on. And all of these UAPs and UFOs that we're seeing around the Earth today, they may just be coming from the moon. And you know, why is nobody talking about that? It's so funny. You mentioned these Russian scientists uh, uh, claiming the moon's hollow. It's refreshing that they're so transparent. About 20 years ago, they made a similar claim to Mars moon, which is known as Phobos, that it's a man-made hollow moon orbiting uh, Mars. And the big and the number one reason they discover that is it corrects its trajectory so it doesn't crash into the planet. Right. And very few uh, planetary scientists acknowledge that information, even though the man, I can't think of his name, the scientist from Russia was world class. This guy, you know, wrote uh, a number of theories and uh, helped us understand how planets work. So, when you talk about the Russians coming out and saying that the moon is hollow, I believe I I almost have to believe that it's, it's pretty amazing. It's, huh? it's not. Go ahead. It's not just that clipped. It, it's it's also uh, beginning to look like, and I I know that these notions sound far fetched. Okay, but yeah. all we have is um, the ability right now to take this information and kind of turn it around. But it looks like we are living in a solar system with uh, life and, and some, well, at least not, not all the planets, some are gas giants, but um, it looks like Mars, uh, Mars, Moon, Phobos, Earth, the moon has something going on inside of it. Could yeah. it be that there if there are these hollow areas with these beings in it and uh, with groups of people in it and was hollowed out for a reason, we don't know. But there's, you know, there's tales about a hollow earth. I'm working on a book with that uh, information. A phobos looks like it's hollow. Uh, there have been reports um, and, you know, people don't believe it, but there have been, you know, people who said, oh, you know, there is something going on with the moon. There are. Uh, people working inside, I mean, Mars, there are people working inside of Mars. Could all of these be hollowed out? Could all of these have been created by someone with an agenda? There's also been a monument found on Phobos. Did you know that? Some sort of strange monument? Yeah, some kind of gigantic, it's extremely big and tall. Uh-huh. And it's like, like the moon. I think it's because of the 
It's like a half a mile tall or something yeah. huge. Yeah. Could this all be connected mm-hmm. to the same group? If there are a group on the moon that are watching not only Earth, but other areas of the solar system, could mm-hmm. these ships that are being sent out from the moon, and I'm going to call them ships, be coming here and going elsewhere and reporting back? That is a theory. That this is a kind of a base. Uh, why don't we see them then? You know, if we're looking at the moon surface, people are like, oh, there's nothing there. Well, you know what? One uh, host on a show I was on said something very interesting. He says, all they have to do is turn out the lights. Yeah. You know, they want us to know they know when we're coming. However, we do have enough uh, evidence, and I'm going to call it evidence from the NASA mission to let us know that you know they're there even if they're turning off the lights even if they're hiding <laughs> we have pyramid pictures of pyramids and structures and lights we have we have pictures of ufos hovering over the astronauts that were on the surface of the moon so no matter how much they're trying to keep away or, or trying to hide themselves you know we know they're there we have the evidence and you know, so this, my, the, this, the sad thing about the moon also is uh and we heard it from the other astronaut, Ken Johnston, we've had him on the show. Uh, Mitchell and Armstrong and these other guys that were part of these different Apollo missions, they had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Yes. And even, I mean, Mitchell's in his late 80s and some of the earlier astronauts, they've passed on. But he's kind of said, screw it. And he's <laughs> already hinted that uh, uh, Armstrong and him actually saw uh, UFOs as they were on the surface of the moon. And there's a, there's a, a story about, uh, one of them looking over on a hillside and seeing an alien st- wa- uh, watching what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if NASA would have just come clean and go, yeah, this has happened and we are uh, a part of a, 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 a group of planets that are populated. It would make life so much easier. Yeah, I think you mean Aldrin, though, don't you? Armstrong oh, it might have been him, yeah. So, um, you know, this is really interesting for me. When the when NASA was created and they decided to uh, go on this uh, mission to the moon, they knew there were strange things going on up there. I mean, I'll show you this. This is the lunar, NASA lunar technical report, and I think, these days, they are uh, maybe regretting declassifying this thing because they knew from this report that there was something going on, and they sent men up there anyway. But wow. what they did was uh, had a study done. You've probably heard this clip about the Brookings Institute. Oh, this is the, it's oh, the they, document that shuts the – they can't – they feel if they say anything, they're going to freak out the, the world. Yes. Earth, Earth so, Earthlings. I think that they are still following that mm-hmm. from the 60s. Yep. And I believe even the like the ISS up there are seeing things all the time. They, the, all these people working for NASA, NASA, excuse me, cannot tell us anything. All right. They are, they signed these, these contracts and non-disclosure agreements. So we're not allowed to, to know. And it's going to really, uh, come back and bite them. Because these UFOs and things, Cliff, 
I mean, they're more prevalent out there than ever before. We're seeing more stuff on the moon and we're seeing more stuff on Earth. And uh, one of these days, you know, they're going to have to come clean. I hope so. I hope it's soon because I'm really tired of uh, not only the UAP phenomenon, but um, we've had Dr. A.V. Lopa on the program. He believes that we are being visited by alien probes. Uh, the Omaomawa phenomenon was one, but he's right now spending money to dredge the Pacific Ocean to find fragments of what he believes was an alien probe that entered our atmosphere and broke up. So, and he's, he's great because he actually even said on my show, I refused to sign a non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> and he is uh, the Harvard uh, astronomer who's in charge of the satellite array. So he's taking photos all the time. Hey, I want to go back a little bit and get some clarification. In the beginning of your book, you talk about ancient myths and you talk about the stories of the Arcadians, this unusual, unknown, uh, ancient race of beings. And you don't give dates, but it, it must be, I think you kind of hint it's before 8,000 years ago. Yeah, there were no dates. I couldn't find the dates, Cliff. There was no dates. And who were mm-hmm. talking about those, the Greeks or before the, the Greeks? The Greeks. Those were the Greeks. Yeah. Talk about the Arcadians. Where do they come from? And they must have been highly advanced to be able to go to the moon and then to the earth, right? Oh, um, okay. So those were not the, uh, okay. The, the Arcadians were the wild people in the earth that I talked about this, this wild tribe. Uh, but I do go back into an, an ancient time where I talked about, uh, some of the Sanskrit writings where there were, uh, there is writings about how humans had the ability to traverse the stars. They could leave Earth. And one of them said, I think it was the god Shiva, that the god Shiva, who, you know, you know, were just extraterrestrials, yeah. uh, would leave on his ship and go to the moon and go beyond, that they had this ability. And what's interesting, if it's not just a myth to me, because they outlined how the ships were made. They went into great detail about how these ships looked. It's just like going to the airport and writing down all of the, you know, uh, details on, 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 on our air, airplanes. And they, they even went into the energy that they used to fly. Now for a myth, I don't believe that they would have had to come up with all of this detail, right? Yeah. So they apparently we had there was a time in Earth's history where we had the ability to go to the moon. We had the ability to fly. We had the ability to go further than the moon. And it's been documented. But because scientists have said this is impossible, that our history started at a certain date, that this is impossible. But it is. It's a record. Somewhere along the line, our history our true history was destroyed and mankind, maybe more than once, had to start over with all of this stuff. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. all of our science and all of our 
uh, technology, we had to start again. And at the rate, rate we're going, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to destroy ourselves and do it again. It just looks like it's been done before. So there were people going out there into into the stars. And you know what's interesting is I use a lot of science fiction in my writing because it helps people to, uh, you know, understand better, I think, and get some kind of visualization. So there was this movie clip out there where uh, George Clooney uh, was, uh, I forget the name of it, but he was, uh, there was an earthwide catastrophe, and he was the last person who had to warn astronauts that were out there that there was a catastrophe coming and to stay away, right? Yeah. What if, could it be possible that during that time in Earth's past, that we sent people out and they got stuck out there due to some weird calamity. And they even, I know it sounds far-fetched, but could they have gotten stuck on the moon? And could they be us? You know, we yeah. just don't know. We just don't know. But I, uh, that's the myth that they're saying that, uh, that, you know, we could fly, but it's really not true. No, it was true. We have written history that says there was a time in Earth's past that we could go to the moon. And that may be why some of the structures we see up there resemble ancient history. They look like uh, uh, monuments and, uh, you know, they, and architecture, some of these uh, structures on the moon from Greece or Rome in ancient times. I believe there was a connection. Yeah. Some of them, Looked like they were blown apart. Was there a war? You, okay, so let me backtrack. There have been structures found on the moon. No matter how much NASA has tried to cover it up, we still have photographs of structures. Astronomers today are still finding structures and posting them, all right? This is not new information, but it's information that people are not acknowledging or not aware of, all right? It looks like structures that have been uh, on the Earth. You know, so I'm thinking there was a connection. And there is a story that says that Atlantis, I believe Atlantis was real. I believe Plato. He said it was real. All right. Uh, people say that was a myth. It wasn't a myth. He didn't make that up. All right. So Atlantis had a connection to the moon, that the moon was a part of Atlantean territory. I don't know if the story's true, but that's what it said. And um and they could go back and forth. All right. Was there a war between the Earth and Moon and Mars? Because there have been, um, there are places on Earth, especially in South America, in the deepest jungle that looks like uh, there was some sort of nuclear war, you know, the way before we created the, the nuclear bomb. And scientists can't explain it. When you go on the Moon, they have craters that were looked like they came from nuclear blasts, all right? And so it just seems like, you know, with uh, these demolished structures up there and this information that maybe there was something going on between us, maybe there was war between the worlds, Mars yeah. and Earth, or were we all fighting some sort of unknown foe out there? We're going to take a short break, and we will return with Constance Briggs, on her book, The Moon's Galactic History. We'll be right back.
Returning guest today is author Constance Briggs, who's written a book on the moon called The Moon's Galactic History. What's been going on on the moon has been documented for years, and today we're hearing about some of the new phenomenon that has been reported. What I like about your reference to the Mahabharata and Lord Shiva, he was flying in his Vamanas. and it was the it was a war for the for the ownership of earth and a lot of the fighting was using these advanced air sh- this is all a myth in the book but it turns out to be and many scholars believe it actually happened simply because there's radioactive areas in india that look like some kind of devastation would befell the people that live there it's you know, they find bodies that are radioactive. It's like, what kind of a weapon did this? But when we talk about the moon, uh, I think there is reference to the moon in the Mahabharata and, and the various wars that are featured, the main war that's featured in the Mahabharata uh, and the use of these flying vehicles. But that's over 10,000 plus years ago, This is what they're saying, uh, was was this war. And it's it's interesting to note that uh, if there are ruins, if there are down aircraft on the surface of the moon, we wouldn't know about it because Space Command and NASA just don't want people to know anything beyond the twinkly lights of the cosmos, <laughs> which is kind of sad, you know, because we're lost and we're regressing and and I believe that if we did know that we're not the only ones that there were alien species nearby it would be a helpful evolutionary path for us to take well you know I stressed that in my book how long is it going to be before we are the the ones who are headed towards the stars when are we going to have a star trek future why do we have to be stagnated? All right. It is yeah. time for us to answer questions, have discussions about the moon and, and move on. Um, so we can progress. If it is true, I mean, it is rumored that there are beings that are waiting for us, uh, rumored from people who channel, um, they say the channel extraterrestrials. Um, there are stories of, extraterrestrials haven't met with presidents and had conversations. Um, why are, if we want to, to move forward, you know, why can't we be the ones who, who are doing this and have these conversations so that we can enter a, uh, galactic community that is yeah, yeah. more than likely waiting for us. And they're waiting for us to get it together. You know, yeah. <clears throat> on the moon, uh, so there are a couple of interesting photographs, um, that show 
some sort of humanoid walking on the surface of the moon. And um, no one talks about them. And, and one of them is said to have been put online by William Rutledge, who was the alleged astronaut who went up in this secret mission that we know as the Apollo 20 hoax. I talk about the Apollo 20 hoax in my book. I don't really believe it's a hoax personally, but I did name it that because I don't have proof. But his stuff, so the story is that an Apollo 20 mission went up. Uh, our last mission was said to be Apollo 17, but they're yeah. saying, no, 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 you know, and they have these pictures where they found an alien girl. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, with right. Those two the women. Girl, with the... they, they named Mona Lisa. And they shot this this guy out of Africa said, I went up on a secret mission and he posted all of this stuff and he posted pictures. One of the posts had a humanoid walking across the surface that looked pretty darn authentic. Everything he posted looked authentic. He um, he had a, a shuttle, um, a lunar module uh, that he had taken pictures in. I tell you, if this was a hoax, they spent a lot of money because somebody had to have access to a lunar module to film this stuff. But he, in my point was that there was a picture among other things that he took of a person walking across the surface of the moon. And yeah. what's interesting about that photograph is that somebody not very long ago also posted a similar looking type humanoid mm -hmm. that they located on Google Earth or Google Moon. And if you compare these two photographs, they look a lot alike. Yeah. So, if it's fake, someone spent tens of millions of dollars on it. Uh, one of the big um, fascinations that I had on that uh, Apollo 20 please. is that they had imaged this huge ship as big as a city block uh, that had been crashed apparently for thousands of years. I guess they went in it, and this is where they found these two co uh, these two women, or I guess they're is cosmonauts. I don't know. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and and, and you know they were uh, still very much in the flesh. They weren't skeletalized. They had strange probes on their face, and they showed what appeared to be a lunar lander. You know touching base on the planet. Yeah. And these astronauts are talking about how freaked out they are to see the ship. And, you know, if it's a, you know, you think, well, if that's a movie script and it was <laughs> done like 50, 30 years or 40 years ago. Yeah. If it's a, if it's a fake, man, they spent a lot of money. On they, they, they spent a lot of money. So what a little bit of backstory on this thing is that uh, during Apollo 15, Apollo 15, took a picture that's out there of this ship. All right. Yeah. And it seems that the, uh, the NASA officials were, or whomever in the government were interested in this thing. They said that it looked like a down ship and they wanted more information. All right. Yeah. So when you go forward to Apollo, this Apollo 20 and you compare what, uh, Rutledge is saying that they, they took the pictures up to this thing in Apollo 15, this, it looks a, a, a lot alike. I mean, it looks like the same thing. Could there have been a secret mission that went up? Yeah. I think all of it looks like it wasn't until you get to how they got up there. You can't miss a Saturn V going up. So how did they get there? How did they hide this mission? And that's why it's called a hoax. 
And also someone came forward and said, oh, I created the artwork of this doubt, this alien girl. But anybody can be paid to do that. Yeah. They're trying to hide it. If those are fake, fake uh, astronauts, they did a remarkable job because they're Asiatic looking. Uh, They, you know, they have very small nose and mouth and they have a headgear and clothing. And I think they bring one of them or two of them into the into the lander, lander, lunar lander, don't they? Yeah. So they brought the girl for sure. And I think that they brought, there was half of a body of another one that they, that yes. they, they brought I in. I remember hearing that. But, okay, so this is really interesting. Um, recently, you know, I've been studying uh, ships and, and things. And there is, uh, they're trying to create a technology. At least uh, our scientists have been talking about it. Somebody's been talking about it about creating a technology where you can be connected to the vehicle that you're flying. Okay. I think they did something recently on Star Trek Discovery like that too. Trying to uh, fly and connect it. This, 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 this girl in this ship was, had these, uh, tubes coming out of her face. Everybody, you can Google this. Just Google Mona Lisa Apollo 20. And it is thought that she was connected to the ship flying it. Oh, like like a technology, very, very right. That's how she was controlling the ship. So it's not unheard of. It has not not been thought up, and just the the grossness of it all. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's cold, so apparently she was preserved. I have a hard time imagining that an artist came up with just all of the gross stuff that's coming out of her. You know, yeah, Uh, but the tubes coming out of her looked like she was connected to the ship, and that's how she was flying it. She was the pilot. Yeah, that's a good analogy. You know, something else I thought about uh, as we were talking about Apollo 20 is there's this huge, huge, massive cigar-shaped ship crash landing on the moon. We see these cigar ships all through our own atmosphere. And I wonder if 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 that's one of those ships. Right. And the details that we see on these Apollo photographs are amazing. Yeah. The clarity is just fascinating. Boy, if it's fake, we're sure getting. (laughs) Well, you know, you know, Cliff, this is why we need to be talking about this stuff. We should be having, heck, we should be having town meetings about the crop circle. You know, that's another book. That's another story. But we certainly should be having. Uh, town meeting, town hall meetings about UFOs, what's going on on the moon? Are the people on the moon connected to us? Are they coming here? Who are they? Why are they? It would help us to answer questions to our own ancient past. It's time that we move past 2000 years of speculating and, you know, connecting. I don't want to knock religions of the world, but we, no, there's something else going on out there past our belief in, you know, I think creation as we've been taught. Yeah. And how we really may have, have come to be. You know, there is another interesting, uh, story out there about, um, Anunnaki. The Anunnaki, um, I thought to perhaps, uh, if, if I'm, I'm thinking your audience might be familiar with them. Sure. We've uh, had people talk about them right. a, a lot. So, so there are some, there is some conversation that they are connected to the moon, that they may still be, that they may be on the moon, they may own the moon. 
they may be the ones that are coming back and forth. They may be watching us. They may be watching us develop and evolve. Um, they may even be able to be trying to, whoever's up there may be trying to help us. Um, you know, maybe we're getting upgrades by advanced beings and they're watching from the moon. There's all kinds of speculation, but it's time, I think, and that's what my book talks about, that we figure it out, you know, mm-hmm. not just sit like children who can't think for ourselves and wait, um, but actually, you know, figure out what's going on up there. Yeah. Hey, talk a little bit about uh, you. I mean, you have a whole chapter on the hollow moon and uh, you describe, you, you t- just told us about the Russian scientists that believe uh, there's a, there's a, um, that the moon is a giant alien craft. But one of the things I thought was quite funny is that somebody in your book theorized that they had some kind of rock melting technology to use to hollow out the moon, that the moon wasn't necessarily a metal craft, that it was an actual moonlit that they hollowed out with technology. Talk a little bit about that, would you? Wow. Um, So it has been speculated because people... People don't understand, okay, you think the moon is a spaceship. You think it it may be a megastructure or or something along those lines. How in the world does anybody have that kind of technology to hollow out something that big? Well, apparently, if you're extraterrestrials and you are advanced by uh, millennia, you have established that ability, all right? right? And so it is believed by uh, some researchers, when they're churning this around, that they have the technology to go out, go in with um, by some kind of mechanical means and just take out this debris and hollow it out. Now, I don't have no I'm not a scientist. I don't know how that could happen. But that's the, the, the thought that they have established themselves to be able to to do this. Any extraterrestrials or advanced group of beings who have the ability to create mega structures. And we ourselves are talking about that. You know, uh, our scientists are, are talking about creating mega structures out there. They're just beginning to, I talk about that in the book, to, to, to look at these things. Of course, pe- beings that are ahead have that ability to maybe hollow out a planetoid and um, turn it into a structure. Um, yeah. so, you know, basically that's all I, I, I have to say on, say on that. But, um, you know, I, the, the fact that the moon is hollow in that chapter that you talked about is one of my favorite things to write about because there, it was, there was a Star Trek show that was titled for the moon is hollow and I have touched the sky. And it talked about, and, and I have to tell you, Cliff, before I get into that, Gene Barry, Roddenberry really quickly, who created Star Trek was said to have been sitting in on channeling sessions with extraterrestrials. The lady was channeling them. And Gene Roddenberry... I would believe that because he was pretty far out. He was far out. And I tell you, um, he was sitting in on these sessions and it is thought that maybe Star Trek was created around these beings because these beings said uh, that they were traveling the stars and they come from different worlds and they were here to help. Okay? And uh, some people think that some of his scripts were from the the idea. So anyway, so he he created the he created the show for the moon is hollow and I have touched the sky and I think it was season episode eight guys you'll have to look it up the first uh the first Star Trek 
And there was a episode where there was an asteroid and it was hollowed out. And these beings had were, were in it. There was, it was a generational shift where they had left their planet because of catastrophe. They were uh, traveling across the universe. They didn't know they were inside of the planet. They didn't know it was a ship and it was designed to look like an asteroid. Yeah. I wonder if our moon could be along the same lines. And Gene Roddenberry, by the way, did he have inside information on this kind of scenario? Because it sounds exactly like what the Russian scientists were saying, uh, you know, 10 years later in, uh, in the 70s, Roddenberry created this thing in the 60s. But it sounds the same that, you know, it could be hollowed out. Someone could have, by mechanical means, hollowed the thing out. They could have been given advance notice, like in Noah's Ark, that yeah. a, a son was going supernova, created the ship, placed people in it, and sent it across the universe to preserve their species. Could that be what's going on? And that's where I was going with the uh, chapter on, on the hollow moon spaceship. If, if, yeah, Gene Rodenberry either had a vivid imagination, which is amazing because his uh, – Star Trek TV series was just phenomenal. Uh, and they still play it on TV. Or, as you say, maybe he got some, some, uh, inside information from channeled data, uh, which I wouldn't be surprised. He was pretty open and, and wild in his, in his theory. Um, as we close, I want to talk a little bit about a chapter that you have on alien bases, but more to the point, um, uh, 20 years ago, I was a program director for Whole Life in San Francisco, which was a kind of an alternative conference. And we had uh, certain tracks, certain talks and lectures and workshops with various scientists that were working outside of the typical box. And I remember I had a physicist on one time that had, and he was from uh, uh, Czechoslovakia. And he had come across a series of images of Nazi UFOs. Uh, these are designed in Germany for the uh, during the Second World War. They were tested, and apparently the the rumor goes that they were working with a Uf, uh, an alien culture, empowering these ships. Uh, but in your book, you talk about German tech. And the establishment of bases on the far side of the moon in the 1940s. This kind of parallels this discovery I made. You actually show one of the pictures of one of these UFOs or, or uh, saucer ships with a swastika on it, a Nazi swastika. Would you talk a little bit about what you discovered and uh, uh, how it relates to you to the moon? Yeah. So yeah. Uh. Nazis are, uh, you know, every time I have to write about them and I have to include them because they are connected to the moon. I yeah. just, I don't like anything to do with it, but okay. Um, so, it is in your book, Constance. Come on I now. I know. And I was just funny to say that. I was just thinking yesterday. <laughs> oh my God, I wish I hadn't put that in there. But you or, know, you, or you, you could put in the chapter, say, uh, uh, 21 and older must, uh, you know, only yeah. look at this material. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. If you're going to report, uh, yep, you got to yep. report everything, exactly. right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, that's, you basically covered that. Basically, I, these, the, the Nazis were in touch 
-hmm. with a fed with a group of of, of extraterrestrials um, that uh, gave them for whatever reason information and helped them to create these 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 vehicles and they are able to uh, apparently they went and established a base on the moon's cliff that's basically all that I, I have on that except for the the theory is that they are there and I don't know that I believe that they are but that's you know what they say and if they are I'm going to be really disappointed that it's Nazis and, <laughs> and not you know extraterrestrials I'm really rooting for the extraterrestrials but the fact that they are there they may be uh in a secret base and that they may be there working alongside extraterrestrials I'm hoping for the good now yeah. Um, but for whatever for whatever reasons that they may have a base there, I'm not so sure. I'm 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 mm -hmm. totally buying that, but that's the story, and that they may be there secretly hidden. Not only that, but there may be different extraterrestrial races along with humans. Yeah, just one race. Like some say, oh, oh it's the Braves. It's the Braves because you know you see them everywhere. But no, there are many extraterrestrial groups out there, and I do talk about extraterrestrial groups in my book and the possibilities of who they may be. There yeah. could be a, a whole established base with different beings there. It doesn't have. It could maybe there are some humans there. There are humanoids there mm -hmm. and others. You know, and maybe the moon itself is what they would all be working there towards. I don't know. It could be trying to get helium three or resources from the moon or um, who knows. Right. Maybe someone started a colony there and they have the idea of everyone kind of existing together. I don't know what the agenda may be, but there is thought that maybe there are different groups up there working together. And those are the kinds of things that we need to be talking about and looking into. And you know, it's going to be amazing if, if this all comes out and uh, NASA's shown to be uh, hiding it as well as Space Command. I, I hope they burn the house down around them because give us a break, people. Wake up. They've done studies. They've done surveys of people. I think it's like 90% of people want to see a contact of some kind. They believe in UFOs. They believe in aliens. And if there's a cover-up, it's like, why? We're ready for it. Why are you following the Brookings Institute document that was written in 1960? That you're, you're, and then they start looking at the theologians. They're talking to Catholic priests and asking them, what's the reaction going to be? Well, these are bad. Religion is backwards. It's, it's medieval. Why are you asking priests? You know? Yeah. I didn't want to say that, but you said it. Okay. I mean, I'm saying it because I'm not religious and my people know who I am. I didn't want to offend anyone. Yeah. The name of the book is The Moon's Galactic History, A Look at the Moon, Moon's Extraterrestrial Past and Its Connection to, to the Earth. My guest today has been Constance Briggs. Constance Briggs. Hey, Constance, I want you to finish up with a, a few famous contactees that you feature in your book. Most notably... George Adamski. Now, he is a fascinating guy. He claims that he was contacted in the, the Mojave Desert of California by an alien race who not only showed him his their craft, they 
allowed him to fly not only around the earth, but also to the moon. So talk a little bit about some of the details of George Adamski. And if you can, (laughs) give us another noted contactee that was in an alien ship that flew around uh, and landed on the moon. Because Adamski is a fascinating guy. A lot of people think he was a phony, that he was just drumming up publicity for his projects and, and to get followers. I mean, he, he came around in the late 50s, early 60s, at a time when waves of UFOs were beginning to be, to be seen. And he kind of followed that along and said, hey, I've been on a ship. Come out and hear my talk. <laughs> right. Right. You know what? He he was amazing. And unfortunately for Damsky, I think that some people didn't take him seriously. And I mean, and, and, and didn't respect him, whereas, but most of the world did. Um, and I think that with Adamski, that the, uh, the, um, extraterrestrials that were in touch with him were trying to use him as a catalyst to educate us, you know, that they were out there. And yeah. I, I am fascinated that, you know, he, he got the opportunity to, to travel and he, you know, he noted that, that there were, uh, beings and that there were, uh, I believe it was Adamski that talked about some bartering going on on the moon and, uh, that, you know, he was able to, uh, you know, note all of this down and they, and, you know, uh, told him to come back and report on it. But basically he said that there were, uh, I believe Adamski said there was vegetation. And um, he had noted, uh, you know. Oh, right. That there was actual foliage on the moon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that it it had an atmosphere and that, uh, you know, it was not uh, what we we thought. And that uh, the beings wanted him, his friends, wanted him to come back and and tell us, you know, what he had seen. So, yeah, if you get a chance, go out and get an empty's book because he goes into great detail that I seem to be um, not remembering so well at the second because what happens is when I'm writing about these contactees it's kind of all running together so I can tell you without having to been able to uh, give all of the names Adamski um, Meager a gentleman by the last name of Meager um, uh, I'll tell you I don't you know that from. name but what was what was he known M-E-N-G-E-R. for M-E-N-G-E-R he also um, went to the moon and oh, uh, yeah. and saw, saw some things so I will tell you what they saw when they were up there. Oh, um, what was his name? Oh, excuse me. Uh, anyway, so what the contactees saw, the gentlemen who were able to travel on these ships mm-hmm. saw foliage up there. They saw cities up there. They saw towns up there. One of them said they went up and, and I can't remember if it's a Dembski or not, but he went up and they had to go through a decompression. And they also, they saw bartering. They saw UFOs coming out, coming in and leaving with um, beings that were on a barter system. So I don't know if they were mining resources on the moon. There is some, you know, stories that uh, the astronauts saw what looks like excavation going on up there. Could yeah. this have been the thing? Were they taking these resources out the moon and giving them to others? It was a bartering system and aliens flying back and forth. They saw mountains, valleys, towns, and uh, they said there was an atmosphere. One of them 
Uh, excuse me again. I, I'd have to look at my book because I get them a little confused. But the one of them was on a train. They were allowed to go on a train on the lunar surface, and they were told to be, you know, very careful because, you know, uh, it's very, you know, the weather. The, it's cold yeah. in the you know. But they said that they could, they could trust. He traversed this lunar surface via a moon and could see things going on up there. What these contactees said was basically that our description, our what we know about the moon, is not true. That there are people there, there's an atmosphere there, there's bartering going on, and there are extraterrestrials, you know, coming and going. And they also said that the moon is full of color. So yeah, there's always been a hint that NASA changes the lens and downplays it and mutes everything. This is the same story about Mars. Mars has much much more rich color than what we see. So. Uh, Constant, thank you so much. Uh, this new book, The Moon's Galactic History, is a beauty. Nine, I mean, three hundred plus pages. It's just huge, and uh, I saw it's available on Amazon. Uh, but if people want more information or to contact you, what's your website? Uh, www.cbb. That's my email address. Sorry. ConstanceVictoriaBriggs.com. Just write, type that in and you'll, you'll get me. ConstanceVictoriaBriggs, B-R-I-G-G-S.com. Correct. Okay. And, uh, I know you're on a, on a book tour because this book just came out, but, um, are you doing any other, uh, presentations where people can go see you talk? Any events coming up? No events at the moment. I have done some uh, in the, in the recent past online. However, uh, you can find me at uh, Cosmic. If you have Facebook, Cosmic Mysteries, Constance Victoria Briggs. I do post my uh, presentations on there. All right. Also, Moon Mysteries page on Facebook. I post my presentations there. And I, I post them on my, my page. So this is, these are all uh, social media pages. Do you have an Instagram page with photos and stuff? No, not yet. I have an Instagram okay. page, but there's no, no, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> you but have so many cool photos in the book, though. It'd be easy just Thank to you. transfer them. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> anyhow, just think. Hey, well, listen, great success on this. Um, I don't think there's anybody who captures the essence and the ancient uh, anomalous past uh, of the moon quite like you. So uh, it, it's fun. I, my final question to you that I think would be interesting to hear a response from is, what do you think is going to happen to earthlings when they discover that we're not the only ones in the cosmos? And we have somebody that we have a first contact. What, what do you think is going to happen? I I think that for the most part, <laughs> I think some are going to go, eh, I knew that. Cool. And keep going. I think some are going to be so fascinated that they're just going to be uh, trying to, you know, learn more and make contact. And uh, I think that there are some that are not going to accept it very well, but eventually will come around. I do not think that the economy is going to collapse as has been predicted. I do not think that, um, People, the whole world will be in chaos, as some have predicted. I think that uh, it will be welcomed, and we'll we'll learn a lot, 
And I think it'll catapult us into a, a new uh, time for humankind. Yeah, I agree. I think it's an automatic evolutionary path because when we think about ourselves as not the only hominins on in the cosmos, human beings, and secondly, to know that there's an advanced race, a few thousand or a million or uh, older, uh, in our nearby planetary system, I think that's very cool. It's, yeah, it's very cool. There's more than one race, and um, I am working on a book, guys. I'm gonna. It's uh, the moon's, um, not the moon's, <laughs> Earth's galactic history and its extraterrestrial connection where cool. I will be talking about some of that. I apologize if I kind of lost my thought. I've been sick for, for a week. Oh, you came off. You were great. You were fine. I know you you had a cold for a while. But oh, my goodness. It was good. It was good. Hey, continued success and fun having you on the program. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it so much. You got to see this book by Constance Briggs. It is huge and is very, very well researched. And it actually goes back to probably recorded history where people around different parts of the world are seeing lights on the moon. And this is still a phenomenon that's happening today. And she reports on that and just tons of other material uh, references to the moon and its many, many anomalies. You know my feeling about NASA and Space Command. They just can't help themselves they even if there was a uh, a wave of ships that everyone could see <laughs> they'd sh still say it was uh swamp gas kind of kind of sad hey i have a huge announcement this week we have a new youtube channel it's the earth ancients channel i just uh, made the announcement uh online yesterday and uh, i am placing the introduction video on Facebook. So you can see it on Facebook. Go to the group or the international page, Facebook, Earth Ancients, and all the details are there. I've been waiting for this for probably almost a year uh, since our last production company uh, decided not to do it anymore. And this is a look at all of our best of programs, Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson, Michael Cremo, uh, Scott Walters, just the who's who of uh, TV, radio, and authorship. It's just a fun, fun channel. And the production is designed to give you both the audio and video. So you get the podcast version and you get the video version, which is probably about three, 400 programs that have been captured and recorded over the last year. We only have been using Zoom, the technology that captures both audio and video, since 2020. So that's like, what's that, two years plus. And it's fun to see uh, the various authors. And the real beauty of this is that a lot of these people have been showing graphs, photographs, illustrations to support their, their new books or their research. And this is a chance for you to see that. You can see exactly what they're uh, doing. So go to YouTube, punch in Earth Ancients. You'll see it. You'll see the, the introduction. Or if you want to get a sense of the launch of it, go to earthancients.com on uh, Facebook. So real happy about that. 
and the team of Vitali and the others in London that uh, are supporting this really make it fun, really make it professionally released. I got to tell you, uh, we are working with the production company that, that, that does History Channel, Ancient Aliens, Coast to Coast AM. So the production quality is wonderful, and the sound quality and the visuals are, are real fun. And I think you're going to like it. Hey, let me know. Send me an email at earthancients for you at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. I'd really appreciate it. Hey, we do tours each year, and uh, most shows you'll hear me talking about upcoming shows. We got a beauty in May. It's our Grand Egyptian Tour. It's May 2nd through the 14th, 2023. We all meet in Cairo. Uh, We have a few spaces left, and I want to encourage you, if you can, to come out and join us because it is rock bottom price-wise. And I have to say this, too. When you do an Earth Ancients tour, you are treated like a diplomat. (laughs) When I say that, that means that you are treated to the best in food, comfort, bus travel, and in many cases, especially in Egypt, we get these private tours. And if you've heard Muhammad and uh, his uh, overview of these tours, you know, and I can tell you uh, that these tours are wonderful. They are uh, once-in-a-lifetime views of ancient Egypt, and they are memorable. For more information on this tour, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours. You'll see the entire itinerary. Sign up, check it out, and uh, let me know if you're interested. Again, if you have any questions, send me an email at earthancients for you, the number four, the letter U, at gmail.com. And I'll reply to you as quickly as I can. All right, that's it for this program today. I want to thank my guest, Constance Briggs, uh, and her new book, The Moon's Galactic History. Fun read. As always, the team of Ruth Thomas, Mark Foster, and everyone who makes this thing happen. You guys rock. Thank you so much. Appreciate your help. All right, we'll see you next week. Take care, be well, and thank you. I know that you're trying to fix me, but I don't want to be like you. If you want to take it back to the 50s, maybe I'm not the guy for you. You know to work, but work until you die, you know that's true Have you thought it through? Cause you love to tell me what to do Say no Suit and your tie, it got a